WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and today is our final re-air of July. Uh, Olympics theme today. I'm not sure if I get in trouble for using that word, so maybe we'll just call it the, quote, event in Japan. And speaking of the, quote, event in Japan, it finished overnight with reigning WSL champions Carissa Moore and Idolo Fajera taking home the gold. Amazing surfing in, in, let's face it, really nasty conditions. So uh, huge congratulations to both of them. Personally, I've been enjoying watching a cross-section of the world's best surfers and challengers represent their respective countries in Japan. It's kind of a cool vibe. But honestly, the broadcast was a hard hang for me here in the U.S. I definitely expected much more. Hopefully it's been better for, for viewers in other countries. And there were some monster early upsets. Seven-time world champion Steph Gilmore down. Current world number four Tatiana Weston-Webb down. Two-time world champion John John Florence down. Julian Wilson down. The conditions, no doubt, played a major role in knocking out some of the favorites before the medal rounds, one of which is today's re-air guest. And while she may have been knocked out of the, quote, event in Japan earlier than she would have liked, she's still world number two, and en route to having a crack at the world title at September's Rip Curl WSL Finals. Please enjoy the lineup's April 2020 conversation with Reunion Island's Joanne DeFay. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be a world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put them up once, let's go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. <laughs> I thought you were boxing. 
All right, Reunion Islands, Joanne DeFay joining the Lineup Podcast for another Low Tide edition. Joanne, thank you for joining us. Where are you and what time is it where you're at? So, um, so I'm in Reunion Island at home, obviously, and um, it's nine something, nine fifteen or something. So I'm drinking coffee. That's right. I'm, I'm drinking coffee too. Um, we're on the <laughs> west coast of California. It is 10.15 p.m. This is our first lineup after dark edition. We've never done one this late. I've never done one I know. this late. Well, h- how are you doing today? All good. Um, I've been up for like an hour or so. So I just did a little bit of yoga this morning. Like, I mean, yoga, it's a big word. Just like movement and then made my coffee and then, um, yeah. But I'm good. It's, to be honest... It's, um, I forgot how many days, but we've been in like strict lockdown in France for more than, it's in, I'm in this week six, but I'm not exactly sure how, how many days, but I'm getting, I'm getting tired. <laughs> and when you say strict lockdown in France, that's the same in Reunion Island? Yeah, we have, um, so Reunion Island is like, for everyone to know, it's like a small island next to Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. And it's 10 hours flight to Paris. So it's very far, but we have the same government, the same rule. So we've been in the lockdown um, just um, at the same time in France. Like one day after I got back from Australia, after um, the Australian Open. Wow. And for, for everyone out there that's not familiar with it, when you say strict lockdown, what does that mean? Are you allowed to leave the house? Are you allowed to walk in parks? Are you allowed to go out in the ocean? What does that, what does that look like? Um, you have to stay inside the most as you can. And you can go outside for buying like food, like necessary like food things. And you can go outside one hour for your health, I can say, <laughs> to do like any sport like running or walking. Uh, for one hour during the day. So every time you go outside your house, you have to fill a form with your name and your and your address and um, the time that you leave your house because you're not allowed to leave the house more than one hour, even for your groceries or whatever. And you and if you go running, you have to go running one kilometer away from your house. So we're just like making circle pretty much. But I haven't surfed since my eat. My last eat in the Australian Open, which is more than six weeks away now. When's the last <laughs> time you went more than six weeks without surfing? Never. <laughs> How are you doing? Yeah, no, How are no, you no. holding up? You must be losing your mind. Yeah, it's a little crazy. It's just like the feeling of not being in the ocean. It's yeah. not even surfing because sometimes, you know, because I'm from Reunion, I haven't been able to surf as much as I wanted because of the shark problems and stuff. Yeah. And um, But I always knew, like, I have a travel in three weeks and and I could always go to the lagoon and just at least be in the ocean because that's, that's what I love. But definitely outside of the ocean since six weeks, like, I haven't put my finger into the salt, <laughs> like, salt water. And it's definitely really hard. Uh, of course. Well, let's talk about that because you you grew up on Reunion Island, yes? Yes. Yeah. And um, we can talk about what, what's happened lately with the sharks, but talk about it when you were younger. What was it like when you were younger on Reunion Island? How did you get um, involved in surfing? How did you fall in love with the ocean? So 
I was born in the middle of France and my parents moved when I was like around two years old or something. And um, it was kind of a dream, you know, because they were living in a place where um, there was no ocean. So it was kind of a dream to like go to an island where it was like sunshine every day and the ocean every day. So uh, since I'm since they moved here, we were obviously to the beach every day, and um, and that's just how I grew up. And I started surfing when I was like se- seven, eight years old, and because um, my dad did, so um, he like kind of bring me to the local beach, and there was like a surf club doing like lesson on the beach, and he was like, ah, don't you want to? do something with my daughter like because <laughs> he's not a very good like um I don't know I'm not sure how to say but he's not very good to like transmit um you know even if if he had to do school to me or whatever he's not that kind of like parents so he would be like no I just bring you to someone that's gonna take care of you <laughs> but he <laughs> definitely bring me to um to that beach that day and um yeah I just I love surfing because I love to be in the ocean. I had my boogie ball when I was younger. So yeah, it was just normal for me to fall in love with surfing. And as you said, um, Reunion Island, it sits off the eastern coast of Madagascar in a very alive and active part of the Indian Ocean. And you mentioned um, the shark problem recently. Were there always sharks there, even when you were growing up? Yeah, it's always been, it's always been like like Australia or Hawaii or any other part of the world that have sharks. So you would have, like when I was younger, it was like, I remember my mom always telling me, no, you're not going to that certain spot because it's quite more dangerous about the history. And then you're not going too early um, in the morning um, to surf and you're not going too late. You know, like all the things that you think that it's right to do when there is sharks and um, you're going in the water just if there is uh, people with you and not going by yourself. So just like stuff like that and all those rules, I've been respecting them for ever, you know. And um, my mom would get crazy if I, you know, like sometimes you get, it's like late at night, the sun's getting down and you're like, oh, I just wait for my wave and the wave never come or people like everyone is trying to get a wave to get in. And I remember one time in Saint-Leu, I was, <laughs> I was just so late and I was like, no, just one last wave, please. My session was so bad, just one last wave. And I just ended up like being at the shore and it was like pretty much dark and she got crazy. She was on the beach. She was like, Ah, and she like slammed me in the face. It was like, you never do this again. She was <laughs> you terrified. You paddle back to the shore. Like, I don't care about your freaking nice wave. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, it's always been here. But yeah, it's been just different in the last 10 years, probably. So it's not quite recent now. It's been a while. It's just like, I think, so we had more attacks in like, not especially in like people wasn't like all by themselves or mm-hmm. there wasn't, it wasn't like at 6 p.m. Uh, right. It was like at 9 a.m. and it was sunshine and clear water. And anyway, so it's just been a bit more weird. And all these attacks have been also um, kind of more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and before, I would say that before like all the attacks, the surfer would 
be in a critical co- condition, like would lose her arm or lose half of the leg, and then but also fa- survive in the hospital. Yeah. Um, but like pretty much all, all the attacks in the last ten years, pretty much um, like the real attacks have been the guy was passing out because because he lost he lost too much blood because of yeah. the the way the shark is like attacking. I think the bull shark are just like squeezing, and that's how like the the skin and everything is just too hard to um, to mend. Yeah, you know, to like put the um, the pressure the sh- on to stop yeah. the pressure. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I was talking to our producer Ryan Fawcett, and he was just I was kind of giving him a bit of background on on what's happened, and um, he he was amazed because he said oh, I, I had no idea, um, and I think a lot of people don't realize what's happened in the last ten years where. I think the count I read was was there's been it's such a small island, you know, and it's 24 attacks, you know, 11 fatalities, and and as I'm sure it is, is a really tight knit surfing community there. So it it really is shocking in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, it's it is crazy. Like I still don't really un- can understand how like we we are like this most dangerous place on earth, and mm. we are so small. Yeah, it's. It's not really that we have more attacks, but it's just like the place is so small and we mm. have all these attacks. And um, yeah, it's just, it's hard. It's just hard. We we lost so many friends. And like you said, it's such a small community. Just ima- imagine like Hawaii. We're like a little bit bigger than Hawaii maybe, mm. like a tiny bit. We have less people because we don't have a big city as Honolulu. And uh, just imagine the North Shore like being like back to back every year, like someone that you know. It's kind of like the most similar thing that I can relate to, but like it's definitely shocking. And then, are there any plans with the government or the local community? I know they've they've tried a lot of things. I've read they've tried underwater divers with spear guns and all sorts of things. Is is there any conversation or anything to? that gives you the local community their mm-hmm. hope that, that it will return to somewhat normal for surfing? Um, you know what? Not really. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's been really hard because I think a lot of people from this, it's so much bigger than just surfing. Yeah. It's became like so much like poli- like a political problem where no one really want to take responsibility for, and no one's like, you know, in France, we are a lot on like studies and we don't want to take too much actions rapidly, right. like without thinking we need like proof and stuff. So they've been doing researches and stuff, but the researches and the scientific that like they don't really found anything. There's just like they like put some, um, they tag the sharks and then they just see that the shark like is around and then he leave for like a month and he come back and like there's, it's like they have no rule and um, they're definitely more around, like bull sharks are more around the island Mm. and um, we don't have any more, we have tiger shark too, but we don't have any more reef sharks or all of the other kind of shark that is kind of showing that the ecosystem is healthy. Um, We feel that there is an imbalance in the ecosystem it's probably because of the human and what we did because they did a lot of like did a marine reserve but before that yeah. they did they put some nets uh, a bit far away f- from 
the coral and the little like fish to like build their house around here. And it's, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how, everything that they've done, um, but it's, it's definitely because of us that everything yeah. out of, of this is happening. So, but from that, no one's really want to take responsibility from it. So it's much easier for them to say, okay, it's just forbidden to go outside because we have right. lagoons and the main population is not surfing. So yeah. it's just like, I think, how they deal with it pretty much. And they just feel great about it, <laughs> you know? I, it, I mean, it's, it's a, weird. It's an insane thing to be one of the world's best surfers and to not really feel safe surfing at home where you grew up. But you didn't really come from one of the more traditional places you know, for surfers, right? Reunion Island has amazing <laughs> waves, has an amazing surfing community, but, you know, coming from Europe, let alone Reunion Island, it's, it's a totally different experience to, you know, kids growing up in Orange County or Coolangatta or Sydney or something. And, and in a way you, you, you kind of came out of nowhere when you burst onto the international scene. Can you talk a little bit about your trajectory from, you know, you started surfing, you were very successful as a pro junior, where were you competing? And, and when did you realize that, Hey, I, I think I could make it on the championship tour? Well, yeah, like you said, it's very far. So I just like, so at the time when I was young, there, there was like such a great dynamic about the ocean here. And, um, we, I was having like contests every weekend and like, just like everywhere else, I guess, but it's, it was so great. So I got my first sponsor, which was Roxy. I was 12, you know, and I was so happy because I got to put stickers on my board. I, you know, it didn't meant nothing, but um, I was just happy about that. And then from that, I just won a couple of, of contests here. And um, I had the opportunity to be in one of the events in France. And because um, all my family is in France, um, every year for summer, we would go back anyway. And my mom was like, great, I will just like drive you down to the southwest because we were obviously going back in the middle to see my grandparents yeah. and stuff. And then she would like drive me down to the southwest of France and would be like camping just my mom and I <laughs> to, to, for me to be able to do my contest. And um how, how long is the drive from where you were to the southwest of France? In the uh, seven, eight hours. <laughs> so seven <laughs> or eight hours, you go summer vacation, you visit grandma, grandpa, mom drives you eight hours, you guys camp at the yeah. beach, you compete and you do your thing. That's so cool. I know, it's funny. I, it's a long time ago, but some of the French, um, some of the Reunion people also like my club or something were in France. So sometimes... We, I could go with them. And so it was kind of how we did. And it was just like, sometimes it wasn't like you said, like normal, like in Australia where you go and you surf and it was completely different. And, um, and then after that, I think like Roxy saw me and so my level and stuff. And they were like, okay, great. Like um, she's going to come with us now. Next year we'll bring her to, um, Australia at the beginning of the year with the other French girls. And, um, and from that, um, we'll see, like, she's going to do a couple of progenia in Australia. And, uh, so the year after, I think I was 13. Yeah. 
so and my mom was you know like how sponsors are they're like yeah well like there is a team manager and they can come along and then I was like no I'm coming with her like I'm never <laughs> gonna let her alone <laughs> so she just like flew with me to Australia and um and then I was at this time I was traveling with Alize Arnaud and she was a French um pretty really good surfer Yep. Um, she was older than me. And then there was Liane Curren and then um, a couple of other younger um, like me. And um, we did like, I think one month or two in Australia. I think it was one month. But we went to Phillip Island, Bells Beach, Coff Harbor, Mooloolaba. Like all the, we did like pretty much all the pro junior that they had. And it was such a, I remember Laura and Ever, like she was so good and she was such a star there like small little like blonde girl and I was just like looking at her being like whoa <laughs> you know there it was just so normal um I think from my side I could see that she was such a star so she could think that she was going to become pro surfer you know right for me it was so far away like I <laughs> didn't like I was like just this like this um this travel for me was already like such a first thing, like insane, like, wow. You know, I remember also I meet, I pretty miss my eat in Bell's Beach because I went and buy my first wetsuit the day before because I never wore a wetsuit before because in Reunion Island, we don't need one. And, and I guess when you're in, in France in the summer, you don't need one either, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we went to the store, we, buy, we bought one and then... The morning after, same, like we didn't know how it's working with the uh, like call and everything. So my mom went to the contest and we were like, okay, so they were like trying to speak English to understand what was going on. And the guy was like, yes, it's starting the girls first eat. It's starting in 10 minutes. And we were so in Janjuk um, in a house and then my mom drove back from Bell's super fast being like, Joanne, you're in the first seat, jump in the car. So I like put my wetsuit in the car for the first time of my life. <laughs> I put my jersey on. The girls was already like out there. And um, and then I had to like run down. I remember running down the stairs of Bells for the first time ever in my life for my first contest in Australia. And the, the it was started already and it was big. And I was like, I never like, went in the water in Bell so I didn't know where to go it was such a mess and I did like fourth I had 10 minutes in the water and <laughs> it was finished <laughs> wslstore.com is powered by Shopify we love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. 
Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. I mean, that, that is a really amazing experience for someone from, you know, tiny surfing community in Reunion Island, surfing contests, you know, whenever it kind of suited in the summer in France, and then being exposed to this huge surfing industrial complex in Australia with, you know, Laura yeah. Enever, and then meeting different people and believing in yourself that, you know, this was a, a potential career pathway for you. And, uh, and then you qualified, you qualified for the, the 2014 season was your rookie year. Is that right? Yeah, it was kind of a transition. I think it was a year like 2013 was a year where ASP became WSL. And that was a year where also I didn't have a major sponsor, but because the ASP was changing, um, they just had five women's WQS this year mm. and they had two in Australia at the beginning of the year, one in Oceanside, and then two in Europe. And because I didn't have from Australia, it's pretty much as far from France for me. So I went in Australia at the beginning of the year. I did the two QS, didn't do so great, but okay. So I was like, yeah, whatever. Because it was also my last year on the junior, so I wanted to focus on the junior. And um, so I went in France for the summer again and did a lot of junior. I didn't went to Oceanside because I was like, oh, it's just money for nothing. Like I, I just want to focus on the junior tour in the Europe tour. And um, maybe I get, you know, like more exposure if I won the junior tour. And maybe I, spawn, I found another sponsor because, um, yeah, if I, if I go to Oceanside and then I lose round two and it, doesn't you know it's pretty bad so um, and so you you're still a junior age the year you qualified you were still you could still yeah. do both because how old were you at that point i was 20 yeah yep. i was 20 just right on the i was turning age, yeah. i was 19 turning 20 at the end of the yeah it was an old old school way <laughs> i, I <laughs> liked it then. i liked it when it was 20 and under it made more sense <laughs> So um, anyway, and I did the two QS um, in Europe, which I did second on one of them when it was in France at the Swatch Pro um, and Courtney won. And it was like that big left on the Shari. Um, and after it was Pantene and I did quarters and I was kind of like one spot away of, of being of officially qualified. And so I had to wait the end of the city season and my place were depending on the place of Pauline Addo on the tour. And it mm -hmm. was like the, the only year she qualified by the city 
And um, so she, and she was in front of me on, on the QS. So yep, she didn't have to use her QS button and I could um, be the last one qualified. <laughs> and so being the last one qualified, it's hard, right? Because you're the last seed, <laughs> obviously. It's, you're the last seed, you're a rookie. We talk about yeah. this all the time about how everyone knows that the CT is the world's best surfers, but they don't quite realize how much faster, how much stronger, how much better the surfing is at the CT compared to the QS. So talk yeah. to us a little bit about your first events as a rookie on the CT in, in 2014. Well, <clears throat> Sammy, it was crazy again. <laughs> um, to be honest, it was also the first year where we needed a visa for to be able to compete, like a working visa to compete in Australia. And um, I never got my visa. Like, oh, I got it, but way too <laughs> too late. And I was going for the two f- first QS at the beginning of the year. And uh, I just never got that visa. So I went on a tourist visa to Australia because I was like, I'm not going to miss my flight and stuff. But at the same time, I forgot to um, register for the, for the QS that I wanted to do. So it was such a, like this year began like such a mess for me. And uh, because I didn't have that visa, I had to flew to New Zealand to be outside of Australia to actually get the visa. And, you know, like doing all the English paperwork, I was still really bad in English. And um, it was just like very complicated. And I, I, I just felt like really by myself because my mom couldn't really help me. And um, I didn't have a sponsor to help me to do that or someone else to do that. The WSL didn't have like a lawyer or whatever, like no one could really help me because it was really something that you have to do personally. So anyway, I like struggled so bad, but I finally got my visa for 30 days. So one month and I had to stay one month and a half. So I went back in Australia, did my first event. It was great because Bianca was on the tour since when he already and Pauline too two years, I think, Pauline. So mm-hmm. I had those two friends to like show me around how it works. And that was great. That was like such a blessing because yeah, it's way less stressful like that. But to have the confidence, like and I didn't have any confidence and what shocked me the most, it was that it was so professional and everyone was so, you know, like Carissa was coming inside and she had like, her dad, her boyfriend, her cameraman, her photographer, two team managers. And and I was like, wow. <laughs> it was, yes, very, very interesting. Absolutely. And it's a little bit like what we were talking about where you're not from the North Shore and you're not from Coolangatta and you're not from Orange County, right? I mean, you you come from a different kind of background and you've had to forge your own path in a lot of ways. And, and it's it really kind of has worked to your benefit a lot of times too. And I know, I remember that year, 2014, I think you had a 13th, a 9th, a 13th, a 13th. And it must be so much when you're, you're 20 <laughs> years old and you're having to figure all this out. You don't have sponsorship support and all these things happen, but then you, you get a couple of fifths and then you get a third at lowers and then you go to France and you get another third. And it felt like you really turn it around in, in the middle of the year. And speaking of those results from rookie season we're now going to wind that clock back a little bit and watch your semi-final showdown with tyler wright from the roxy pro france for 
this week's edition of the Rear View, which is now sponsored by BF Goodrich Tires. BF Goodrich is celebrating 150 years in 2020. And for all our listeners out there uh, that use social media, if you want to wish BF Goodrich a happy 150th anniversary, you can tag at BF Goodrich Tires and use the hashtag BFG and WSL. Happy 150 to BF Goodrich, and thanks for supporting these conversations. All right, let's get into the rear view. All right, so here we are for the rear view presented by BF Goodrich. This is the semifinals at the 2014 Roxy Pro France. Joanne, this is your rookie season, and as we were just talking about, really tough at the start of the year, a couple of tough results, tricky visa things, no sponsorship support, trying to figure out what the level's like at, at, at the championship tour. Um, but you were starting to turn it around. You were getting some really good results heading into this event. Can you kind of walk us through where your head was at um, here in France? Well, um, yeah, I think I felt I felt quite confident after the couple of results. And um, I remember facing Coco, I think, in the quarters. Or before, no, before the quarters. And um, I remember telling myself that it could really change the end of the year for me if I make this heat and I make another quarters and um and it was kind of tricky conditions and I made it happen and um it was yeah it was such a release especially to do it in France and I felt like I had something to prove also to the French people you know because exactly like you said I'm from Reunion Island and it's not the same you know I'm not like a like a Pauline or Alize or Leanne, like I had to prove myself also to f- the French people, kinda. And and I felt like this this event, um, I kind of did, and I was kind of proud. <laughs> <laughs> and you were ranked tenth heading into this event, and had you backed yourself up on the on the qualifying series as well, or was it? Or were you really fighting for your career to stay on the CT with results in in France at this point? Oh no, yeah. Um, yeah, I always been pretty bad on the QS, and um, I tried to do the the QS this year, but it was super hard to do both CT and QS. It's two different formats, it's different countries, and it's twice as the money that you also need to travel. So it's it was a bit hard. So I I did like maybe two or three event, and then after I stopped because I. I, I did really bad and I, it just was useless to do it. So I was really fighting to be on the top 10. And and the the conditions out here this morning, you said were a little bit tricky, but it, it is at least clean, you know? And I think, you know, when you're having these beach break events in France, you have such wild tidal swings, you've got wind yeah. effect, you've got all these things happening, um, you know, do you think that your background, having been there every summer and having... Um, come up and spend a lot of time gives you an advantage out at France year over year? Um, certain, certainly, but a lot of girls, like, I mean, in Australia, they have so many beach break too and stuff. So I'm, I'm not sure I've got more advantage <laughs> than someone else. And then Tyler's up on the first ride here. For you, when you compete um, now or even then, or maybe it's changed, do you like to get the first wave? Do you do you does it matter for you? Do you fight for that priority um, on the first exchange? I remember this year when I was rookie and the first couple of years, I remember really fighting for it usually. 
it's always tricky. It's always tricky, you know, because sometimes you fight so much for it and it doesn't work at all. And, um, and sometimes lucky you, the peak is like right on you and you haven't done anything for it, you know, it's just weird. So I'm trying not to focus so much on the first wave, um, lately because it's kind of give you a lot of pressure, but it's always depend on the condition and stuff. Cause if there is not a lot of waves and it can define the whole heat, that first wave. Of course. And this was before Tyler had won her two world titles, but yeah. do you and Tyler get along? Did you get along then? Do you guys talk out in the water when you're competing or do you mostly keep to yourself? Uh, when I, I don't speak when I compete, <laughs> definitely not. And not even if not Bianca's a, in the heat or Pauline or anyone. No, no, never. <laughs> no, especially not with uh, your close one. I can't remember the first year being so close to Tyler. I think she's um, she had such a different image that um, I can rely on as a surfer, as an athlete, as a woman too, you know, and, um, mm. but she, she's kind of quiet and she's also, you know, in her, in her own world. And that's kind of like the first year, that's kind of how, how I felt like arriving on the tour. It's like a lot of girls actually have their own world and their own people close to them. And, and it's, it's not easy to open to be open to new ones when you compete and when it's your career and stuff. So I guess I think that's why I said earlier that I was lucky to have Bianca and Pauline um, that was closer to me and, and that I know them from before. That's interesting to hear because, I mean, even on, on both the men's and the women's side, you know, in a lot of the post-heat interviews, people are often like, oh, you know, I'm just doing my best. I think it's a little more competitive now, but there were a few years there where it was kind of one big happy family and people were saying, oh, you know, I'm just out there surfing my best and stuff. But it makes <laughs> sense because you guys are traveling around the world. You're going to fit in with certain groups of people. You'll feel more comfortable. And at the end of the day, you know, everyone's competing for a world title. They're competing for quite a lot of prize money and it's a very serious thing. So um, I think it's easy to forget. Oh, here you're up on your first wave here. Oh. Now, what board are you riding at this point in your career? Oh, okay. Um, I was riding the Channel Island and I think that was a Proton. Mm -hmm. And, and um, now you're riding for Sharp Eye, is that right? Yeah, well, it's not completely official, but pretty much um, it's just I don't really want to have, especially right now in this in this moment where it's like, oh, we don't even have contest now. Um, I just at the beginning of the year, I, I sent an email to Channel Island saying that I just needed a little bit of a change. And um, I just for my personal knowledge, you know, I feel like this is one of the things I really need to work on as a surfer to know more my equipment and um, to also learn how to really explain how I feel on a certain board. And because I don't know why it's been hard for me. And um, sometimes I'm just like, okay, this board is working and this board is working but they're working differently, but I'm not sure how, you know? Yeah. And um, I think it's been because being from Reunion Island, it's also hard for that because I 
don't have the proximity with a shaper. Uh, I can't mm. go to my shaper like every Monday and, and speak about boards and, and how I felt. I think it was kind of, um, it's kind of affecting a little bit on my surfing. So I really need to focus on that. And Marcio, I've been really responding and, and really open to chat and, um, I don't know. I also feel comfortable in like a smaller, smaller group. Sometimes Channel Island was a little bit too big. I don't know sure. how, how to explain exactly, but it was just mainly for a change. And, and when you surf for so long and compete for so long, you need um, some new things to like get excited about. Oh, yeah. I think you even see that with like the best surfers. Like you've seen that over the years with the best surfers too, whether it's been, you know, Kelly wanting to switch it up and, and try different shapers or, you know, Julian or Jordy, every, you know, I think it's, it's part of it. You see it across the, the men's and women's wanting to keep things fresh and, and For have sure. that spark. Oh, here we are. Left-hander. Oh. <laughs> it, it's, a, you know, on mornings like this, um, I, I'm presuming it's the morning, but very well could be the afternoon. It, in on days like this, are you looking for a defined peak um, with these conditions? Are you looking just to go right? Are you looking just to go left? Are you taking any kind of opportunity that comes your way? Mm, I think I would take any kind of uh, opportunities. There is something easy for me to get a scalp backside. So I guess mm. any opportunity I can have to serve backside, I will... Um, I will take it because I don't know. The judge loves backside. Um, <laughs> well, I was really going to ask, do you, do you feel like your backhand stronger than your forehand or do you feel like it was stronger back then? Not really. I think for me, it's like more easy. Um, yep. You have way less choice uh, when you serve backside than right. front side in your maneuvers. And for me, when I'm competing, less choice is way more efficient like it's mm. um it's easier for me to have less choice than too much choice <laughs> so that's why I, I love surfing backside when i compete and um but also you have less choice and you hit the leap pretty much every time and the judges love it it's easier for me it's, it's way easier to get a score backside than front side somehow now, who, who's this guy switching your leash out for you here so that's uh, Ian Martin. That was um, the same coach that I bring to Snapper at the beginning of my rookie year. And um, so, yeah, he was helping me this year. That's good. And what kind of things did you work on with a, with a coach? Because I always find that interesting, Where uh, whether it's Kelly or whether it's really any of the surfers on the CT that work with a coach. I'm always curious to um, find out what, what you um, guys work on, if it's technique or heat strategy or just looking at conditions. I think at you mean at this time or right now yeah well what would you guys work on well yeah i'm, I'm curious about that now too but what were you working on in 2014 and, and what do you work on now i think in 2014 the main thing was to get some good boards under my feet because i never had to build a quiver for myself right and um that was really hard because i didn't know the waves and same, uh, like no one really from France have been, like no coach from France have been on the tour or traveling around and, you know, like mm. it, we just have like Mickey Picon and and um, Jeremy and Alain Rio and a cup and some guys from the QS, but no one really did a full like city. Um, and Jeremy is like 
still walking. He's not coaching. <laughs> so um, it, it's it's it was really hard for me to understand like what boards is working for what waves and um, and to really feel great on every board. So uh, I think that was a main point. And working on my um, strength uh, mentally, I think, was the big goal. He was really here to just like give me positive vibes, I guess, around the event. Sure. At this time. Well, it looked like it worked, right? Because you you started getting <laughs> those results. Yeah. And you mentioned Jeremy Flores, and I know that that he was a huge supporter of you at a few points in your career, um, yeah. specifically when you when you needed support just to get around to events. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, um, at the beginning of 2014, he came. I think he, he sent me a message or something because he wasn't living in Reunion Island anymore. But um, oh, he gave me a call and he was like, oh, I'm, I want to help you financially because I know you're going to go like what you're going to go through this year, like on your rookie year on tour. And um, so I want to help you financially to start your season, to be able to go to Australia and stuff. And um, to be a bit more relaxed and focused on your surfing and, and not like stressing out on money or whatever. So that was really great. I mean, really crazy. I wasn't expecting that at all because he definitely didn't need to do that. And, um, and after that, he came and, and watched a lot of my eats. And, and he was the first one to actually talk to me about the boards and the ways and what he knows about it. And um, so that was also a really cool way for me to know more about the surfing, really, because the girls like Pauline or Bianca would help me a bit more on, the, on how it work, like the whole scene and stuff. But um we still compete against each other, you know? So it's not like she's, they have their coach and, you know, like, like we said, like we're here to, to do our job. So it was great to have Jeremy at this time to talk to me about more, more about the surfing and, and yeah. And did you guys, do you think that's because you guys connected because you're both from Reunion Island and, and you kind of have that, that, yeah, that crossover think... shared experience? Sure. I think he really understand how hard is it. Like, like I said earlier, again, in this heat, like when you're from Reunion Island, you're far away also from Europe and from France and from the surfing industry in France. The surfing industry in France is so small. Everything is in the southwest of France. And if you're not here, if you're not there, like all the year and, and people don't see your face and don't see your surfing, they forget about you. And um, like you already have to prove yourself, <laughs> like I said, to the French and to the French industry. And and I think he understood that because he, he just became he, like all his, everything that he, he done and what his dad done um, for him was, was exactly that, like really proving themselves and then making sure to make people understand that they were doing the, all the sacrifice. And after that, they decided to like, I mean, Jeremy was such in another level than me in surfing. So she was, he was so great that straight away they bring him everywhere and he's been traveling and, you know, it, it's another story. Like he, he went and lived in Australia. I mean, he was more, his destiny was more 
into surfing than mine when we were younger, definitely. Sure. But yeah. he understand that that coming from Reunion Island, it's even harder than coming from France. So I think that's how he wanted to help me. It's really cool. I and I remember he, he didn't even really talk about it. I remember it was just sort of a quiet thing. And then it came yeah, out and he, everyone said, yeah, he exactly. just did it because he believed in you, you know, and I think that's, a, that's such a cool thing. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of those things that we've been talking about is, is your path has been so unique and you talk about a little bit coming from reunion. It's not even being in the surfing center in France and having to work harder for everything, whether it's dialing your boards or getting sponsorship support or getting ex competitive yeah. experience. But so, there's so many surfers on the planet. They never, ever even qualify for the CT. And then of all the surfers on the CT, like very, very few of them ever win. Most never win a CT event. Right. And you've won mm -hmm. three CTs. So do you think that coming kind of from an outsider perspective helped you in a lot of ways in surfing as well? Yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, every best path is unique and, um, and it's probably like I, I always like I, I talk a lot about proving myself and I think that's what keeps me motivated and hungry. It's because I've I think I, I always have this feeling where I need to prove myself and prove my surfing and and maybe maybe that's that's why that's what gives me hunger to go to go again and and yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's helped me to win an event or not, but <laughs> I it was I could never imagine I would won a city event so easily. Like it, it was hard for me. It's always hard to imagine. And I don't know. It just happened. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I remember this too. heat. I remember this heat specifically too, because I think Ross Williams was in the booth and you were a rookie and, and you were a very, very good surfer. But I think a few of the turns you did in this heat, even Ross said, oh, wow, that was very, very vertical and very, very explosive. And I think that, if I remember correctly, your rookie season, that was one of those things where you just seemed to get better and better and better and more impressive. And, yeah. and maybe people didn't believe that I've, you could surf at that level, but you did very, yeah. you know, you disproved that really quickly. Yeah, I think I think I was just so stressed at the beginning of the year and everything course, was yeah. kind of like blocking my surfing. And I think that was the most frustrating. It's because I just... For once in my life, I was competing in amazing waves, you know, <laughs> because the QAs and the juniors, like maybe one time out of 10 events, you have like great surfing, but usually it's pretty crap. And so that was, it was so frustrating and I just couldn't show my surfing. I was, my feet wasn't great. I don't know. It's just like, I wasn't myself and also, I guess I had to prove to myself first that I could surf and, and be relaxed and, and handle this correctly. And, and I think from Fiji, that's my first great result in that year. Yep. And what I really realized when we were in Fiji this year, it was because um, it was new for pretty much all the girls. And it was an island on the left, on the on the reef and that's where I grew up that's how I like I've surfed pretty much all, all my life like on the left and a reef and um so I kind of I was kind of familiar to it but a lot of girls wasn't and um being back on that event in Fiji it was it was a first for everyone you know like snapper all these girls know know it perfectly 
bells, they know it perfectly. Margaret River, same. They know it. They know the wave. They know how it breaks. They know. And then Fiji was new for everyone. And I kind of felt like everyone was on the same level of discovering and, and the same level of experiment, if I can say. So yeah, yeah, no, it's kind of like gave me confidence to actually, okay, you can serve, you can be yourself, like it's going to be okay. And, and I had that first result and um, it kind of gave me a bit of hope. <laughs> well, and you mentioned it before, like this was the, the first year that the, the new ownership group really invested in quality waves on the, the women's CT in a big way. That was the first year yeah. Fiji came back, first year trestles for the women, this event. It used to be in Biritz in the summer, and then it moved to Hasegor yeah. in the fall, and you got good waves. You guys went back to Maui. So I think it, you're talking about a little bit of that quality discrepancy of these are really good waves, and you surf really, really well in really good waves. You surf really well in, in challenging waves, too, because you, you performed really well in the QS. But it's an interesting insight, right, when it was leveled out for you and and the familiarity advantage that a lot of the other surfers had at, at Bells and at Snapper was gone, that's when you kind of yeah. felt more comfortable. Yeah, I think it made a, a huge difference. And from that, I was more, I was, I guess it, I was a bit more relaxed and I was more, I was not more relaxed, but I was more into myself. Like I was more going back into like making me, like trusting me. I was like trusting me, my surfing again. And then trusting my competitive intuition, you know, like how, I don't know, you have some hits where you just know what wave, you just know, you're like, okay, no, I let this one, like you, your choice are very clear and you make them rapidly and you have some hits where it's just like, oh, should I go, should I, should I go, should I not, oh no, this one, oh damn, I missed it. And then it's just like on and off all the time in your head and um I felt like this end of my rookie season, I was like determined and I was like, okay, you make a choice, you go 100% with it and you just, I don't want to have any regrets or any, you know, like, so when you choose to go, you go and you go 100%. What do you think, since this was 2014, what do you think the biggest changes in your surfing have been since between then and now? Um, I don't know. I've... I've always been like a powerful surfer. I've got like strong legs and and it's also a year where I've been being on a tour compared to the QS also have been really helping me to accept myself as a woman because um there's some girls like like Tyler in this hit, like Carissa, like um lakey and stuff and they train so hard and and they look super strong and super fit women and and like sally and there's many others i don't want to say name everyone but um um i just felt a bit more like i was like i was a strong female athlete and and from that i was like yeah i'm just gonna work that at my advantage and i'm gonna work strong into my physical training to be able to be even stronger in my surfing i think i really saw a lot of i think my physical training really helped me to improve my surfing right and it's helping me to helping me to be more stronger in my head and and i think all of that slowly like put together made my surfing really like improve and and um and being more stronger and more consistent and 
because the turn I'm doing in that heat, like the kind of layback and the calves, I'm not sure I'm doing much better this year, you know, like I'm not like, but the thing in when you compete, you have to do this every single hit. If you want to hit every single wave, every single hit, you have to, to be that strong, you know? And, um, a lot of the time when we lose, uh, I think for everyone is like when we can't really show our surfing. For sure. And, and I think what you're getting, it's really interesting too, right? Because for a lot of people on tour, both men and women, you qualify when you're so young and you're all, you're in the spotlight, right? So everyone's talking about you. Everyone's looking at you. You're comparing yourself to other world-class athletes. And I think what you're touching on a little bit is becoming really comfortable in who you are as a person, what your strengths are, what will feed into your surfing better and how to stay really, really sharp in the sense of performing at your best, you know, event after an event after event. And the results you got um, from Fiji to uh, Trestles to France set you up to finish eighth um, in your rookie season in 2014, which was not only enough to requalify, but um, enough to win rookie of the year. Um, and a few years later, as we talked about, you get three CT wins. And even though you considered yourself an outsider to France, you are one of their Olympians whenever the Olympics happens, but (laughs) so much has changed in, in just a few years. How how does, how does that kind of square with how, where you were at in 2014? Yeah, it's, I know it's crazy. It's, um, it's just been a long journey, I guess, and every every step um, I took to be here and to be an Olympian, like you said, and uh, I think it's just been cons- consistency. I've been working consistently and um, trying to trying to do all the effort and all the sacrifice and that I needed to do to be there but also I don't know it's just been it's just been awesome all the time (laughs) you know it's just been awesome every year it's like such a fight to be on the top 10 and and um to be even better and um to win an event like you said it's it's so hard like in surfing it's not like all the other sport like you have so much so much have to be aligned to to actually make it to the the last to be the one that won the event and um you can be so good in your life so good in your surfing so good in your mind and then just one choice you get that first wave and it was the second one that was insane (laughs) (laughs) and the other one have it and you finish last like in a couple of minutes second and um it's just, um, I think I've, the more I'm into that competitive world and, and along these women, so I'm getting more inspired every day and, and I'm, I'm getting passionate even more than I used to be. And um, so I, I'm just like continuously inspired to like go further and see where I can go. Well, I think that's like one of the best things about the ocean, right? Is it doesn't care who you are, where you came from. And for some people, you know, you can come from, you know, Orange County or you can come from (laughs) Kulangata or Sydney or even Hasegor. And for other people, they come from 
from you know different places and unique places and and i think that's kind of what makes it beautiful and seeing someone like yourself who's who's as you said had to make some sacrifices but has succeeded so many times and has become something so special to the surfing world is i think that's what makes it really really great so thank you thank you very much for this conversation on the lineup before we go we we do have our lightning round these are 10 questions you okay. have to answer as fast as you can okay Question one, if you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life, single fin, twin fin, thruster, quad, bonzer, or finless, what would you have? Thruster. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Burrito or pizza? Pizza. Last book you read? Um, Becoming from um, Michelle Obama. <laughs> Insane book. Best surf film ever? Um... Okay, I'm going to be really girly, but I loved um, the Nike, I can't remember the name, the Nike Point Zero with just a girl. Uh, it was Carissa. Leave a message? Oh, leave a message, yeah. Uh, I loved it. It was like just at this moment of my career where I was, I, I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great film. What is one wave you never have to go back to? Um, that's hard. I have a really bad memory of um, Cabo, Cabo <laughs> del in Mexico. Yep. <laughs> I went one time for my QS uh, season. It was my 20 and 14 um, season. I, it was so expensive from Reunion Island to go there. And it was flat, like flat, like you never seen. And then I was one more time the heaviest girl in my heat. <laughs> And I couldn't float on my board to get a wave. And I was like, and I did fourth, I think. And I had an envelope with hundred bucks and I give it to the taxi man to bring me back to the airport. And I was like, never again, I'm going to come back here. <laughs> that is a good answer. Okay. If you only get to surf one wave for the rest of your life. <sighs> J-Bay. Best person to share a lineup with? Bianca. Worst person to share a lineup with? Um, that was a hard question because there's so many people that I want to share the lineup with. <laughs> well, Bianca's a good answer. Okay. Um, and the worst? Ooh, hungry QS boy. <laughs> Any kind of them. <laughs> They're, that's fair. They're all the same. Okay, finish this sentence. Last question. I will next achieve a state of happiness by? By getting outside of my house. That's a great answer. <laughs> Joanne DeFay, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the lineup. That was fantastic. Thank you so much, Dave. So that's it. That's our lineup's re-air of our April 2020 conversation with Joanne DeFay. I hope you enjoyed it. Once again, congratulations to reigning WSL champions and now Olympic gold medalists, Carissa Moore and Italo Ferreira. Amazing surfing and looking forward to seeing what they do in Mexico, Tahiti and Trussels. Looks like we're back next week with a fresh episode and maybe some mega news. As always, you can contact us at, at the lineup pod or at Dave Prodan on Twitter and Instagram. We do our best to respond to everyone. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you're at and we'll see you next Tuesday.